You're listening to Dr. Ward Bond's Life-Changing Wellness, the fastest-growing natural health, nutrition, and inspiration podcast in the nation. Uplifting stories, powerful messages, and triumph over adversity, the experience of entertainment and encouragement is about to begin. And now your host, Dr. Ward Bond. I'm Dr. Ward Bond, and I welcome you to Life-Changing Wellness. Today, it's all about cheese, wine, bread, discovering the magic of fermentation in England, Italy, and France with food journalist Katie Quinn. Today's episode is brought to you by PrimroseLeaf.com, multi-use nutritional supplements for your immune system and overall good health, youth, beauty, longevity, PrimroseLeaf.com. Now, before you begin, please head over to iTunes after the interview with my guest today, rate and review the show for me. And I want to thank you ahead of time for making our show great. And for all of you leaving five-star reviews, it has just been so helpful. And we thank you again for doing that. Well, my guest today is Katie Quinn, and she is a cookbook author and journalist. And every week she posts food and travel videos to her YouTube channel, Q Katie, which has over 5 million views and over 38,000 subscribers. Her slogan and podcast title is Keep It Quirky because she thinks life, both in the kitchen and out of it, is more enjoyable if you don't take yourself too seriously. She has appeared on the Today Show as a contestant on the Food Network's Chopped and as a judge on Beat Bobby Flay, and she has attended Le Cordon Bleu in Paris, and Katie also considers herself a foodie, but it was a serious accident resulting in a traumatic brain injury that caused her to look at food and ultimately her entire life in a very different way. Today, we discuss that life-changing moment, as well as her beautiful new book, Cheese, Wine, and Bread, Discovering the Magic of Fermentation in England, Italy, and France. So let's welcome our esteemed food journalist to the show, Katie Quinn. Welcome. Hello. Hi. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm thrilled to be here. Well, tell all of my listeners, you are actually coming to us from Italy. Yeah, I'm uh, quite a few hours ahead of you. And let me just say the future looks great. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, yeah, I am I talking to you. I'm talking to you from Southern Italy, though. It's a sunny, sunny day here. Well, how far south are you? Pretty far south. I'm in the region of Puglia. It's in kind of the heel of the boot. Oh, if you will. oh, um, wow. It's lovely at this town that's right along the Adriatic Sea. Uh, no complaints from me. <laughs> oh my gosh, I couldn't. I kind of. To me, it sounds like a lifelong vacation. You know what? Yeah, it's so funny. I mean, you, you know, our conversation might get here eventually because I feel like <laughs> all of this is also intertwined, like the the personal and the professional and the book and the food and the travel. It's all so. It's just. It all goes so, so hand in hand, which is part of the joy of just writing the book. And I hope that people will find of reading the book. But the reason I'm living in Italy is directly related to research that I did in Italy while I was writing the book. So I came to Italy researching and writing the book and, um, you know, here I am (laughs) a year and a half later living, living in Italy. So it's just so funny. You just can't predict life, can you? <laughs> no, you cannot. And, you know, let's just kick this off. Where did your passion for food come from? That's such a good question. So, I mean, I've always been a big eater. I always like, I've always loved 
food and loved eating. Um, it, but I'm from the Midwest. I'm from a small town in Ohio, Athens, Ohio, shout out. And I, it was when I moved to New York city, which is where I, I got a job out of college at NBC in the NBC page program. And if you've ever seen Tina Fey's show 30 rock, you might know the character Kenneth. He's Kenneth the page. Um, if you've ever seen that anyway, yeah, it's an actual, yeah. it's an actual role within the company of NBC. And I, and I had that role. So usually people are like, wait, <laughs> I thought that was like a completely made up thing because it's basically just like Guinea pigs running around. NBC well, it's like an internship. Like, is it like an internship? Yeah, ex- it is exactly. It, um, but it's a program that's like pretty specific and, and, and pages rotate around uh, different sections areas of the company so it's fantastic because you know i had three months where i got to work at saturday night live and experience kind of the entertainment side of things that's three cool months working at the today show kind of that morning television newsy vibe three months working um at the politics arms where it's like the really hard news kind of stuff so it was it was an incredible opportunity to just dip my toe in a lot of different parts of the industry and to experience what what interests me what excites me what i what i'm excited to wake up to my alarm to do um so anyway but that's a tangent from food i mean of course yeah but that's that's kind of like the backstory yeah but it's the backstory i mean it you know we all we all have a particular journey and we don't know where that journey is going to take us and all of a sudden you're like how did i get here now Hopefully most of us will say, how did I get here in a positive way, (laughs) uh, you know, but uh, But, I always love hearing the entertainment background. So that's cool. Totally. And I mean, you know, however things panned out and and like you say, hopefully positively, but we can all look back and say, oh, it was truly a compilation of everything I've ever done that has gotten me to exactly where I am and has made me the person that I am today. Every single little thing has, has built this, you know? Um, and, and that's absolutely true. And so, you know, being an NBC page might seem like, well, it does kind of feel like a, a lifetime ago now, but um, it was, it was when I was in that role that, and in New York city that my eyes were opened to food. And I think, you know, growing up in the Midwest, I, I was like, oh, everyone eats this way, right? <laughs> I <don't know. laughs> but I love food, but everyone eats this way, right? And, but it was being in New York and, and, you know, taking the train out to Flushing, Queens and, you know, eating the dumplings out in Flushing's, which is like the, you know, kind of the real Chinatown, if you will. Yeah. Um, and just experiencing and all these foods and all these cultures and the people, um, Oh my God, my eyes were just blown wide open. <laughs> well, it must have been different from going from Ohio to, to New York. I mean, New York, in a way, is almost like its own little country. Yes. So and, true. Yeah. And so many countries within New York. I mean, it, you know, like yeah. you said, there's so many different little Italy, there's Chinatown, the list goes on. And I, I can't imagine, I mean, the, the food in New York, it, it's like a smorgasbord. It's and it's an, an incredible mouthwatering smorgasbord. And then at the same time, being you know being entrenched in media. I mean, we as pages we work crazy hours. We work six days a week, 
for it's a it's a year-long program and so true immersion and realizing oh wait so this thing of media that I'm interested in and that I went to school for wait there's an entire like little subsection Mm -hmm. called food media (laughs) and food (laughs) is suddenly this thing that I can't get enough of and the cultures and everything and and it was realizing oh people make a career of this so this topic that I can't learn enough about that I want, I'm just like a sponge for, um, you know, there is a place for it. And I think that that, that really, um, set me on. The well, path. I, yeah. And I think one of the things, I think the, one of the greatest <clears throat> phenomenons in America is when the food network debuted. Yeah. I don't even sure. think they knew what was going to happen. And, you know, and ladies and gentlemen, you really have to think about this for a moment. And Katie, you, you've worked within that whole industry and you know what I'm about to say is here we have this network that is birth, not knowing that it was going to birth household names of people that will always refer to. We would buy their cookbooks. Uh, there would be lines of... Uh, you know, you know, people are going to end up going to William Sonoma and Pottery Barn and buy all of the cooking stuff or whatever. And it just, the list goes on and on how that one channel just created this monster food industry. But I think really it opened up the door for all of us to realize that, you know, there was more to food than what we even realized. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree. And it's so interesting, like to your point. This this idea that when Food Network began, they they had no idea the cultural impact that they would have, and it's interesting to think about how I don't know. I feel like arguably everything that just begins and, and is kind of starts a little scrappy like that, everything like no one no one knows, right? No one knows about anything, and like. You know, this this book, for instance, yeah. my book, Cheese, Wine, and Bread, it's like I put I poured my heart and soul into this book for three and a half years. I traveled around England making cheese at farmhouses in, in rural England, being a cheesemonger at Neil's Yard Dairy. Um, and I, you know, went around Italy working in vineyards, making wine, traveled all around France having stages at boulangeries, like, I mean, immersion, right? I completely threw myself in and I have no idea what's going to happen now that it's out in the world. The cool thing was, is ladies and gentlemen, if, if you notice, uh, if you notice the title of the book, it's called cheese, wine, and bread, discovering the magic of fermentation. Of course, in uh, England, Italy, and France, what I found Katie was so, um, cool is that, I know personally, because I love different forms of cheese. So we yes. know cheese is a fermentation process. We yeah. know wine. Which not everyone, not everyone knows. For not the everybody knows as, that. As a cheese head, you, you might be aware, but not everyone knows. I, I even ate, I even tried the cheese that has a little mites in it. Mm, wait, Cacho Cavallo or yeah, which, so which one? The, yeah, I think. Well, all I can tell you, there are different ones. <laughs> yes, there are, cultures. and it was the uh, it was is very orange in color, and it had mm. the uh, the aged almost a, a rough looking texture on the outside. Ooh, was it good? Did you like it? It was different. 
not bad, not bad. Very diplomatic. Uh, very different. But at the same time, we know that, you know, we all know that wine is a, is a fermentation process. Right. But bread, that is, that threw me for a bit. Yeah, of being I'm, a fermentation well, <laughs> process. So, so I, I mean, want you to kind of, I want you to walk through this because I know we have so much to talk about, but since you brought up the book, let's talk about how you brought those three elements together and focused on the fermentation because fermentation, even in the areas of health is a very big positive because even during the fermentation process, some of the bad properties of certain things will go away and the good comes in. And for those of you who don't know exactly what I'm talking about, it actually has to do with uh, those that may study uh, the areas of probiotics. Fermentation has a big role in that, the, how bacteria works. Uh, Katie, so how did, you, yeah. how did you come across the whole fermentation idea? <laughs> so I... Oh man, where to start this story? Because, because like I said, the personal is so intertwined with this and, you know, and that's why there is, you know, I'm very vulnerable in, in this book. So yes, it's about these foods. Yes. It's about the producers who make them. Yes. I have fun talking about the science of it, which for the record, I am not a sciencey person. So the fact that (laughs) I find the science fascinating goes to show you actually how interesting it is and how accessible it is in the book because like, yo, I'm not a science teacher. So this is all to say that in addition to all that stuff, you know, there are memoir elements woven into it because for me, these things, cheese, wine, and bread are essential human foods that have been around as long as like, you know, nearly eternity and, and there's a reason that humans are drawn to them. And one <laughs> phase of my life where I was particularly drawn to them was when my boyfriend at the time and I moved to London from after living in New York City for a decade. And it really threw me through a loop. You know, we were also, you know, we were engaged, about to get married, and I was just going through like some stuff. <laughs> and <laughs> And I just found myself almost on a cellular level, really drawn to these foods. And it was one evening when this was my dinner. Cheese, wine, and bread was my dinner. I was looking at it on the tablescape. And 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 it just it just kind of hit me. Like this is this is the Trinity. This is the It's a story. In other words, you're looking at story. It's a story. And and you know, it's amazing how with wine, especially, you know, wine's the thing that people pick to say, what do we pair with this? Or if you have a food, what do we, what wine will we pair with this? But there's a bigger picture when it comes to pairing wine and cheese. And then you throw me for the loop when you entered the bread territory. <laughs> well, the web, the web of all three is, is just fascinating. I mean, there's so many stories, then there are so many stories to be told. And I think that that's, you know, that's another thing that just made me realize, okay, I I have to, I have to do this book. I have to write this book proposal. I have to like (laughs) pitch my heart out with it because I need, I need to write this book. And the fermentation thing that you bring up, it was also, you know, it was also a light bulb moment for me, I think. So like, you know, 
I I brew my own kombucha, right? Like I do. I, wow. Like, and, but and like these are the things I think a lot of at least like I don't know hipsters and, like I sp- I well, lived in no. Brooklyn for ten years, right? Because uh, you can't. Well, kombucha. Me. Yeah. Well, kombucha. That's fermentation right there. Exactly. But so that's, that's my point. And so thanks for getting me on track here. So uh, when I, when I think of fermentation or when I thought of fermentation, I thought kombucha, I thought sauerkraut, like you said, I thought like, okay, beer, wine, I know that alcohol, like that's fermentation, but really I thought like kimchi, sauerkraut, kombucha. And it was realizing, wait a second, these, these things, again, when I'm looking at the table and I'm seeing cheese, wine and bread, and this is all I want. And like, this is all I need. And this, this will sustain me. And, and holy moly, wait, these are all fermented, but it's looking at this, this thing of fermentation. And I I hesitate to say this hot or trendy thing, because obviously fermentation is, yes, it's trendy, but it's so ancient (laughs) that it feels silly to call it trendy. But I think it was realizing, oh, Fermentation is something that connects all of these things. This is the umbrella with which I want to explore these things. No, I I, I agree. It, it's so funny because when as you're talking, first of all, I have to compliment you. I absolutely love your excitement, your passion. <laughs> I just Aww. it makes this so much more fun. And it's funny because I've seen documentaries. Uh, on things like cheese, and I always like to to understand how certain things are made or how certain things are done. It was it yeah. was so funny. Um, my daughter and I were talking one day and uh, took a took a was taking a cork out of a wine bottle, and I said, "Do you know where cork comes from?" And she goes, "No." So I said, "Well, they peel it off the side of a tree." And she's like, what? And yeah. so if you know the simple backstories, here's what I love about food. But especially when you when when people get into cheese and wine, when you start learning how certain things are done, it makes you appreciate. But then it takes yeah. you deeper into the subject because then you want to know more and you want to know why certain things are done and how this was done. I mean, I was I remember a few years ago we did this segment on this TV segment on cheese and, and, and we kind of laughed because, you know, we had the cheese called the, the drunken goat where they took the cheese and it was actually <laughs> just, you know, dipped in Merlot, so to speak. Yes. And, yes. you know, so there, there's so much out there and as much, and the more and more you, you want to learn, the more and more you find and discover. And that's what I love about these three foods that you chose. But again, focusing on the fermentation that, that is, that is just, I mean, I go deep, people, and I can think how deep this is. I mean, because I'm having fun just thinking about it. Well, you know, and what the thing that I love about what you're talking about right now is that curiosity is the center of it. And curiosity is the thing, right? That is, that's it. It's all about simply the curiosity. Because where I was at before I started writing this book was, saying and believing and thinking i love cheese like i love cheese do you do you like cheese oh my god i love cheese but did i know how milk became cheese no i had no idea did i like you know saying oh i love bread i love wine but so it was really following my curiosity into what are those things why 
you know, how can I really say that I love something if I actually have no idea how it how it gets on my plate? And and again, to your point, what you just said, understanding understanding how it gets from the cow that's on that field, you know, or goat or sheep or whatever. <laughs> To like my grilled cheese sandwich, that just makes all the difference. And and it makes that grilled cheese sandwich so much more delicious. Well, well okay. So you're in Italy, and here's here's what I here's what I find so interesting, especially in the areas of cheese. You have Parmesan, very mm. dry. You have, you know, we, of course we know mozzarella. And when when mozzarella is was done by hand, it's very wet. Yes. Then you have provolone, which is a very thick, slow melting cheese that still kind of, in a way, keeps its form even when it's in its melted state. Then you have buffalo mozzarella, and the the list goes on. And you can see the absolute differences just in that very, and it's a tiny group, a very tiny group just there. You see the different textures. You see the different taste. You see the different yeah. melting points. It, it's yeah. just crazy. And it, it all starts as milk. It all starts as milk <laughs> yeah. with very few things added. And it really has so much to do with time. And, and when a cheesemaker decides to do certain things, how long do you wait after it's coagulated? How much whey do you drain how much salt do you add? Like it's all, it's, there are really very few, you know, ingredients or added things, but there are just, yeah, but you know, you, infinity decisions to be made along yeah, the way that completely I'm, change the end result. But Katie, here's what, here's what is, is so cool about, uh, you know, cheese makers, I should say. There is a science there. Oh, but yeah. There, but <laughs> there's an art. And, and an intuition involved. Yeah. And, and see, that's what I was going to ask you. Cause when you were talking to some of these cheesemakers, did you ask them how long did it take them to maybe learn the craft? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I, I lived on a goat farm in Somerset making goat's milk cheese with cheese. I mean, I, I got my hands, I got my <laughs> arms in the curds quite literally quite literally while I was researching this book, because for me, it wasn't enough to just interview, to sit down at a table and interview these incredible artisans. Yeah. I really wanted to learn by experiencing. And so many of them, you know, were so passionate about what they did and, and so generous with me and just opened their doors. And, you know, it's interesting because, yes, I asked them that question. A lot of them didn't know. They, they didn't know the answer. It's almost like people who have a certain predisposition to just being really good cooks in the kitchen. Like they just, they just kind of, you know, yes, it takes practice. Yeah. Absolutely. Just practice and skill and kind of knowing what you're looking for, but there's also a certain predisposition and, and personality type. And I think it is one of those things that, you know, is hard to put words to. Well, and, okay. I know that you, you, uh, went to three countries, but, uh, especially in Italy, is it a craft that's handed down from family member to family member, or is it more of someone comes along and they end up being an apprentice and then fall in love with the art? That's a great question. It is very much a family thing still. And, and of course there are still the, you know, the apprentices and falling yeah. in love with the art, but um, 
definitely it is a, a family thing, both in, in England where I was, you know, was making cheese a lot. Um, but, uh, in Italy, absolutely as well. And the, the winery scene in Italy is also very connected to, to family, to heritage. And in many cases, you know, if the next generation doesn't want to continue making wine, then it, then chances are the winery is going to Well, you bring up a point here because a lot of people don't know how the wine industry actually works. And, and it's been criticized a lot probably in the last few years by going way too commercial. Mm. You, you walk into a store in America and there are so many bottles. And, and now when I walk in, I'm looking at the labels and I'm thinking, is this one just a private labeled wine? Yeah. Is it really coming from the actual winery and where, and I think that's a big problem in America with a lot of the corporations taking over wineries versus those that you specifically visited and researched that were probably family owned, probably goes back a hundred years. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but you know, there is that same problem issue uh, in Italy as well, because the industrial wine scene is, is really powerful. Yeah, and, and it's, you know, it's pretty easy for them to knock out a family winery that's been around for, for a hundred wow. years. That, that, that's that's I, a shame. <laughs> but I yeah, wanna... it is, you know, it is, but I always try and look at, at the positive side. Of oh, well, yeah, and... yeah, yeah. And you know, like, <laughs> so when you, wow, you know, your book, my gosh, I, I could talk to you for hours about this. Um, with, with cheese, especially let, let, let's, let's break this down into three segments, like in your book with cheese and you, you visited England, Italy, and France. What were some of the big differences that you saw between the three countries in the areas of making cheese? So, okay, let's see. So the, so the book is kind of broken my my theory with how i chose to uh organize the book was that by getting very very specific mm -hmm. and putting that specificity in context it becomes universal so what i did was focused on cheese making in england in italy i only focused on wine making and ah. in france i only focused on bread well that makes so sense yeah, because if I tried to tackle all three things in all three places, I mean, that is like a, that's a 10-part encyclopedia right there. I, like you took the words right out of my mouth. I was thinking that's an encyclopedia. <laughs> it, is, it would be way far, far, far too much. So by getting super specific, I am making comparisons and and I am making statements on the cheese scene in Italy and France, yes, as well as England, even though I am in England having these experiences. And I'm also talking about cheese around the world though. So, yeah. so I got, I was very, very specific to my experiences, um, of cheese in England, wine in Italy and bread in France. So, I, uh, yeah, I, I, I like that. And, um, and if the food network is listening, 
um, there needs to be a new show for Katie yeah. Quinn as host because <laughs> I would watch this all the time. <laughs> I fully, I fully, fully support that. And I, and I have to just say just quickly for, you know, mm-hmm. anyone who's been listening to this whole thing and they're like awesome fermentation and like, what is a word that I can think of to understand fermentation? I understand that you know, it kind of, but not really the, the word that I want, just want to say mm-hmm. is transformation. And, you know, that is what fermentation does to a product, to an ingredient. It completely transforms it almost like a caterpillar to a butterfly. It's the same thing, but it is completely different. And, and time is that missing magic ingredient that, that allows that transformation to take place. And, the same can be said for, for our lives, I think. And the same can definitely be said for my life. And, and I try to bring all of that, <laughs> all of that to the pages of this book. Well, let's bring your personal story in here real quick. Uh, tell us about the accident and what happened afterwards. Yeah. So, you know, and this is not a spoiler alert. This is, this is in the introduction of the book and I almost didn't share this, um, but I'll, I can tell you later like why I decided to, but essentially long story short, I had, uh, I got a traumatic brain injury. I had a very bad ski accident, uh, you know, spent about a week in, um, the intensive care unit in the hospital. And then at 27 years old, living in New York city, living my best life. Uh, nope. Everything came to a complete halt. I moved back in with my parents in Ohio and, um, and healed and had to relearn how to walk. And, um, and it was, it, it was my own (laughs) fermentation. I mean, I'm like giggling because it's like, that just sounds so freaking corny, but like, but it, but it was, (laughs) and, 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 you know, at this point, how many years was, it was like seven years ago now. And I'm so grateful. I, you know, back to full health, which not everyone with a traumatic brain injury can say. And, um, and it armed me with a view of life that that absolutely led to to writing this book and being curious have i guess was it the recovery period that kind of gave you uh, a downtime so to speak yeah. to where maybe the thoughts or the ideas of the book came to be and then you were able to do some research while you were recovering and then well how long did it take you to fully recover where you were back to traveling and then going on to the wineries and into the, the cheese well, making places. I mean, yeah, like I, I would, I mean, that was like six years later. Um, so, you know, I, well, I, I would say it took about six months to really f- start to feel like myself again. Wow. Um, but yeah, I mean, but then, you know, it planted the seed for, for what happened then quite a, quite a few years later. Uh, and, and it was that time, it was the time that I was able to kind of stop or I, not that I was able to stop. I was forced. Yeah. To you were stop. forced to stop. Yeah. Let's get it. Let's get that corrected. Yeah. You were forced to stop. And a lot of people, you know, they're, they're, they're blowing and they're going and it's fast paced and they think and life is was, awesome and it comes yeah. to a grinding halt. And that was exactly my life. I, you know, and I am just the kind of person that I'm, I'm pretty go, go, go. <laughs> and I think that, um, what, 
that taught me and what fermentation taught me and teaches me is, is things just take time. There's just no rushing some things. And I think when you can accept that and, and, and learn from it, it, it just makes all the difference. I mean, and cause you know, fermentation, things go through a really awkward phase when things, when, you know, when a food is being fermented, right? I mean, just think of that cabbage, it's just cabbage and salt in a jar, but it starts to bubble. It starts to kind of get stinky until, until it becomes sauerkraut. And then it's amazing. Right. And it's so good, like on your hot dog or however, however you choose to eat your sauerkraut. Um, and, and you, and like, we need to go as humans, just as ingredients need to do, we need to go through that awkward, smelly, weird, stinky phase well, yeah. to get where we're going, you know? Well, yeah. Oh, exactly. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, if you're going to be refined like silver, you have to get rid of the dross and then all of a sudden you start to shine. And, yeah. you know, so, and what, and right now you're shining bright because I love this book and and ladies and gentlemen you have to understand that when you you have to this is the type of book you don't want to be downloading this is the type of book you want to buy to hold because it's such a beautiful book oh, i mean i you. you know when i was looking through it and seeing the pictures but you know the 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 font style and i was just like wow this is the type of book you just want to set out so when people come to your home they see it and, but it's the information, uh, that we're here to talk about today. So, yeah. and so you separated, so you put the, it was, uh, English cheese, then it was the Italian wines and the French breads. And that to me was an absolute perfect combination. And I, for one, love, uh, British cheddar. There's oh just my a, gosh. Uh, yes. the, oh my god. Yeah, <laughs> yes. the uh, you Earth yeah, place you of cheddar. Yeah. And and I'm not talking about that yellow cheap crap. I'm talking about <laughs> this this beautiful white the the texture. Yes. But you know, I know that there's different textures and but to me the the flavor. See, I I'm not the type that likes extra sharp. I like that mild to medium type. And, mm -hmm. and I just love that. I just like the way, you know, when you eat it, you're like, I want some more. And all of a sudden you find that you ate the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. Slightly nutty, uh, comes from, yeah, the, the aging and, and to your point, yeah, the cheddar that's, that's white, right? Because yeah. that's the color of cheddar and often <laughs> a, a, like a natto seed extract is added and that's what is used to make cheddar orange which is great too you know but but traditionally cheddar is cheddar is white and yeah. and it is made in wheels right not the blocks wrapped yeah. in plastic that we see on the shelves of the grocery store it's, it's wrapped in in a linen cloth and and rubbed with lard and it is aged on spruce shelves um you know the these wheels of cheddar that are let's like as big as a stool essentially oh they're gigantic um, but you know you should all right now you just said something that piqued my interest sitting on a spruce shelf did you ask them why they chose a particular wood for the shelf yes 
Um, it, it's because it has to do with how much the wood will, um, uh, wh- why can't I think of the word? Uh, <laughs> is it drawing uh, in a property from the wood? No, it has to do. So it's basically that it won't take out the, the, any of, um, Oh, the so it doesn't draw out What's- of the cheese. Right, so the cheese isn't taking on. It's oh my gosh, why can't I think of this? no, I, no, I, I know what you're talking. I, I mean, I for one know what you're talking about, and that makes complete. I had never even thought of that. Wow. Yeah, it, they they play nice together. Let's just put it that. There way. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> they stay and in I'll their own separate corner when my when my lexicon improves. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that, in other words, they stay in their own separate corner and they don't taint one another. Right, but it, I mean, it has to do with moisture as well. So the, yeah. the spruce lets lets it breathe, mm. lets the lets the wheel breathe as well. So you know, both in terms of of flavor, moisture, um, yeah. Well, let me ask they're you friend, this: they're friends on the playground. I always thought this was kind of weird, but do the cheesemakers go around thumping the wheels? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's that's that's. Um, and why the, is that? The affinage process. Um, well, it's how they check if it's ready, and so they'll they'll knock on it. They they know what to listen for, and then they have um this this tool. It's called a cheese thief, colloquially, and and it's it steals a sliver of the wheel, and it goes in pretty far into the center, so they get what the cheese tastes like from the center out to the exterior because it does change as it's maturing because again air just a bit of air is is penetrating this lard covered cloth and and so the wheel will be different from the center to the exterior so with this cheese thief they take they take a a wedge of it and a narrow almost like thin pencil shaped portion and they taste it so they knock they listen they taste and they judge whether whether it's fully matured or if it needs some more time wow you know i never i never thought about that about it uh, being from the center to the outer edge being different i mean that is that and that's why really you know cheese, some some hardcore cheese folks are are very against um, cutting the nose off a wedge. That's kind of the terminology. So think if you have a wedge of cheese on a mm-hmm. cheese plate, what you don't want to do is just lob the nose off, and that's like the pointy the pointy yeah. tip of the triangle because that is its own. So the taste is different from the point. Exactly. To the outer edge. So it's kind of like... To the rind, yeah. Yeah, so it's like, ladies and gentlemen, it's like taking a slice of pizza, but the slice of pizza from the point to the crust is going to be the same, but with cheese, it's not. Correct? Exactly. Exactly. So it's nice to get a sliver that can kind of incorporate... Uh, those subtle flavors. So cut it down if, the if side. If you care enough. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Cut it down the side. But, you know, also, I don't know. I'm also, like, a big fan of, like, not being super precious about this stuff and just <laughs> eating it and enjoying it. So, like, yeah. I'm not, I'm certainly not going to judge you uh, and how you eat your cheese board. But, yeah, just, I think that that's, you know, a fun, a fun fact, something to think about. Wow. I have actually been cutting my cheese correctly then. Hey, hey well done. Now, Snaps. pie Snaps is you. when you take the point. The yeah, pie, pie that's it. <laughs> but 
cheese. I always I cut it down. The, I always cut it down the side because I love British cheddar. Yeah. I love Gouda. Um, man, I'm trying to, you know, can, Swiss. Can I just share, can, yeah, can please I do. Share with you a uh, a recipe from my book that yes. has been getting a lot of love, and I. I also absolutely adore this recipe, but I think the reason it's caught so many people's attention is because it's interesting. But you saying you love British cheddar, just I have to share this recipe with you. I have I have a recipe in the book for cheddar brownies. So wow. it's this incredibly fudgy brownie with chunks of a matured British, I of course prefer British cheddar, but it could be any cheddar, but like a, a quality artisanal matured cheddar, chunks of it in the brownie. And it takes on this, it's almost like fresh out of the oven. It's almost like it's white chocolate chunks, I swear. It takes on this sweetness, it caramelizes in the oven, but it still has some of that saltiness, some umami kick. It's just like the perfect sweet and savory combo oh and i think gosh. it's going to take over the world personally i i think it is going to take over the world and now i'm thinking i have got to do that <laughs> i think you should try oh, it <laughs> my gosh that w i've never would have thought of those two together now i think chocolate is god's gift to man and yeah, cheese has to be second <laughs> yeah. and that is crazy so let me ask you this because you know you know, when it comes to wine, you can, you can talk all day about wine, but I, w I want to talk about bread because it's a subject that a lot of people don't cover. So when you were in France, what what uh, what were some of the things that you learned in, in your research of researching the bread portion of your book? So I think that as an American, I mm. always assumed, oh, bread, bread in France, like the best friend in the world, it, it, the bread in France must be completely untouchable. And it's just incredible. And in my research, I learned actually pretty quickly that, yo, France is going through the same food industrialization that the rest of the world is going through. And the bread can be just as blah in France as elsewhere. But the thing that is a little different is the the bread culture in that country is so strong and the history of bread. I mean, the French Revolution, one of the things that triggered it was a lack of bread for the people, right? I mean, where Marie Antoinette supposedly said, let them eat bread, um, you know, which, and I say supposedly because that's like, it's kind of, <laughs> that quote is, is, is a little, is a little um, controversial, but supposedly what she literally said in French was let them eat br brioche, right? And brioche right. is, 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 or wait, no, let them eat cake. Sorry. Let them ah, eat cake. Sorry. Let them eat cake. So <laughs> I'm getting words confused in my head. She said, let them eat cake. But what she technically said supposedly was let them eat brioche and brioche is bread. It's an enriched bread, right? So it has yeah. eggs and other things added to it, but it's a bread. So basically what she was saying is like, oh, you know, they can't have bread, but, uh, but like, so let them eat this fancy bread. Anyway, French people love their bread and they, um, 
And historically, it has, of course, always been made with natural leavening. So this is this mm. is fermentation with indigenous yeasts, uh, a.k.a. sourdough, yeah. um, as opposed to added yeast, which is, you know, Saccharomyces cerevisiae, which is often added to dough to make it rise faster, to, you know, maybe play friendlier with, with machine machines that would work the dough. And I realized that, okay, so there's this history of this kind of bread in France, and there are people continuing that history. And so I'm always particularly intrigued by people doing something that is not easy. They are they are overcoming obstacles <laughs> to do the thing they exactly to do yeah. the thing they believe in so passionately. And that's absolutely the case with sourdough in France. And so I didn't know that that's the way that section would go until I started researching and talking to people well, and making bread with, with bakers. But that's, you know, th Bri that's where the story was. Yeah. You know, I know here in America, brioche is really catching on. It's you go so into good. a restaurant and now they're, you know, they offer, you know, you know, now it's an option, even if it's down to ordering a hamburger, it's now an option. So when you were in France and doing the research on bread, how did you separate the bread making from, you know, the French pastry? I mean, my, my gosh, I mean, that, that's a whole nother subject. I mean, when, when I think of France, I'm thinking of a croissant. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Of course. And trust me, I ate my fair share <laughs> of that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you, you know, there is some overlap. Quite a few uh -huh. of the boulangeries that I staged at, which means like I trained at, I, I worked at, um, you know, they would have a pastry section where where they would be making croissants and other goods like that, pain au chocolat, all of that deliciousness. Um, so there is absolutely overlap, but it was pretty easy to separate the two, really, because they are different. You know, they have different bakers. You know, there are different roles. There's the bread mm -hmm. baker, but then there's the pastry chef. So there, there are two very specific roles, actually, within kitchens and bakeries all around France. So what did, how did, all right, so how did you end up at Le Cordon Bleu? So this was after I started my YouTube channel. Uh, this was, you know, before I moved to London, before the idea for the book uh, ever, ever really came into my head. Um, but it was after the ski accident um, and I started a YouTube channel and it took off and I was talking about food and making recipes and, and it became a thing and then it became my full-time job. And I realized, okay, hold up. People are looking to me as an expert, but like, I'm, I'm a journal, I have a journalist background. Yeah. And I love food, but I guess I kind of felt you know, you hear about imposter syndrome. That was me. That was, I felt no, that. No, 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 <laughs> no. Because that's not how I look. That's not how I look at it. When I talk to journalists and I'm talking the ab absolute term journalist, not this crap that they keep feeding to us now. What I'm talking about is people like you who go into a subject and you, and you've lived it. I mean, you're going on the farms, you're going on the wineries. That's what a real journalist does. And, you know, journalists is not just delivering, you know, the daily nightly news. 
it's finding the story. It's finding the backstory. It's finding the history. Is there an art? Is there a science? And you're doing all of that. So don't downplay what <laughs> you were doing on YouTube because yes, journalism leads a person into becoming an expert. And that means studying. I mean, I've seen people who's, who studied things to the ninth degree and they know more than some researcher out there that's been doing it for 20 years. Yeah, no, and, you're right. I mean, and, yeah. But no, you, yeah, no, you, there's a, I mean, there was a reason why so many, all of those, all of your uh, subscribers and followers came to you on, on YouTube because first of all, I know one reason is because your passion and excitement is infectious. Aww. And, and, and that's, and that's why, you know, when it comes to video, that's what works and, and you've got it. So food network, you here's your next new show, your next new hit show with Katie Quinn. <laughs> Thank you, man. I should like pay you to be my publicist or something. Sometimes I feel, sometimes I feel like a publicist cause I, I work with a lot of them and I know good ones and I know some not so good, but anyway, that's a whole nother story. But your book again, this cheese, wine, bread. I mean, this whole fermentation process and my gosh, uh, again, I could just talk to you forever and there's so much more, but where can all of my listeners buy your amazing book? Well, your amazing listeners, and I agree they are amazing. Thank you for <laughs> listening. I hope you've enjoyed this chat. I have enjoyed this chat, by the way. Thank you. I for have me too. On. I have too. Uh, the book is available everywhere books are sold. So just go pick it up anywhere you like to buy your books, whether that is Amazon, whether that is your local bookshop, whether that is uh, any of the fantastic in-betweens. Um, you can find it there and you can always go to my website, katie-quinn.com where I have links to all kinds of indie booksellers and Amazon and, you know, Barnes and Nobles and everything. <laughs> yeah. And ladies and gentlemen, that is Katie, K-A-T-I-E dash Q-U-I-N-N.com. Katie-Quinn.com. You've got to check it out, please. If you are a foodie, I don't care if you're an amateur foodie. I don't care if you sit around watching the food channel half the day and you enjoy watching food. You need to start partaking of the food. And when you look and when you read Katie Quinn's book, cheese, wine, and bread, I will tell you this one. Once you go through the book, you will be trying to figure out how to plan a small party and gathering to invite all of your friends, because I guarantee you, you're going to, Go into your local area, and you're going to try to find some of these cool, different cheeses, maybe that you've never tried that, you know, I think, Katie, I think everybody needs to have a little cheese wine bread party just to, to just to you mix know. the taste together <laughs> and learn and go, oh, what is this one? And what is this one? You know, you may be creating more food experts out there than you know. Uh, I, well, I certainly hope so. I certainly hope so. Nothing would make me happier. <laughs> I love that. And and I'm going to, I am definitely going to try that, that brownie British cheddar recipe. Oh my gosh. That is just, that, that is the most incredible thing I've heard all day. <laughs> so. I, I hope, I hope you love it as much as I do, because honestly it's, it has definitely become my go-to brownie in this house. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you have enjoyed uh, our time with food journalist. And I mean, journalist in capital letters. 
Katie Quinn, her <laughs> brand new, and I mean it again, amazing, incredible, absolutely beautiful book. You want to buy it. You want to hold it. You want to flip the pages. It's called Cheese, Wine, and Bread, Discovering the Magic of Fermentation in England, Italy, and France. I mean, just reading the book will, will take you on a trip where you don't need a plane ticket and you don't have to wear a mask. You can enjoy it and, uh, and, and take advantage. How many recipes did you put in this book, Katie? There's about 30 recipes. So they're sprinkled all throughout the books, the photos, the illustrations. Yeah. Y'all just need to get it in your hands. That's there you true. Go. There, I, there you go. <laughs> and, and when you go to YouTube, just type in the search Q, the letter Q and Katie and her page will come up, subscribe to it, watch the videos, you know, push her subscriber list higher and higher, and you're just going to learn more and more. Again, Katie, wow. Thank you so much for coming to us via satellite from <laughs> it, from the, the boot hill of Italy. This has just been an absolute wonderful time with you today. Oh, it is my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Well, you are so welcome. And again, ladies and gentlemen, that is katie-quinn.com. Go there right now. Buy the book. Check out everything else that she is doing. And I can guarantee you this. Something amazing is coming to you, Katie. I just know it. There's just something amazing in your future. And I do I do envision that television show. I think it's coming. So, <laughs> again, thank you for the honor and pleasure of your presence with us today and sharing your knowledge and just having a whole lot of fun with cheese, wine, and bread. Thank you again. It was fun. Thank you. All right, ladies and gentlemen, remember to catch every episode of Life-Changing Wellness. Just hit subscribe on iTunes or Spotify. And if I can ask you a favor, please take 30 seconds and rate the show on iTunes. I want to thank you for doing that for me as we want to bring you the best show possible. You know this episode deserves 10 stars and you can only give it five. You know, five is great, but this is definitely a 10 star episode with Katie Quinn. Just look up Dr. Bond's life-changing wellness on any streaming service. You can learn more about me at drwardbond.com. Again, thank you for listening to Life-Changing Wellness. We are known as a different kind of wellness show. And remember, something spectacular happens when you treat your body right. Have a blessed day, everyone.